Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad to have Dr. Mark Muska as my guest the whole hour. So that's Ask the Professor, and you can fire anything at us you like. I will ask on your behalf. The number to text your questions is 877-933-2484. We'll take questions the whole hour. If you have uh, something that you've studied in Scripture for days, months, years, and you would like an answer, I bet we can come up with one for you. Let us know what it is. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll take 60 seconds and be back with Mark. Proper navigation is about getting where you want to go safely and hopefully without getting lost on the way. Well, it's the same when it comes to navigating the Bible. Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith with Unlocking the Bible, and along with our friends at Faith Radio, I want to invite you to join us for a summer in the scriptures at openthebible.org slash faithradio. You know, the Bible is so much more than a historical book. It's how God speaks to us today. And openthebible.org slash faithradio will lead you through the whole Bible story. It's like a guided tour from Genesis to Revelation. You can take it on your own, or you can do it with family or friends. So get started today at openthebible.org slash faithradio. Again, that website to learn more is openthebible.org slash faithradio. the show. Dr. Mark Muska is our guest in for the whole hour, so let me know what your questions are. Got a question about anything in the Bible? That'd be the time to ask us right now. 877- 933-2484. Uh, I was looking at a passage in Ecclesiastes. Where was that again, Rebecca? Was that Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes 5.2? Ecclesiastes 5.2. Mm. Could you read that for me? Certainly. Yes. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. So, Mark, we we blather to God all day long. Yeah, What's wrong I, you with know, that? You, the, the, you get in trouble if you just grab a verse and rip it out by its roots, kicking and screaming, <laughs> and just go with it. And so this counterbalance Are you taking me to school right now? No. Okay, good. I'm, I'm uh, just pointing out that we have to look at the, the whole counsel of God in the Scriptures. And this is good counsel to say, just don't blab on. Mm-hmm. But then we got plenty of things that tell us to just come to God with everything mm-hmm. and talk to Him and uh, confide in him, depend on him. So you got to put the whole schmeal together. That, uh, that's why I'm a big promote, uh, promoter of doing theology, because when you do theology, the method of it is, is you look at all the scripture that speak to a particular subject or topic, and you try to form a teaching that is in harmony with all of those. 
we get into all kinds of trouble in the church when we just grab one particular thing mm-hmm. and ignore all the other passages that seem to contradict that, and we just go. So, aren't we good at that though? Don't we? We're, don't, we're, don't we love to grab a verse and kind of make pros. it ours? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we that's been going on a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. we kind of pick a verse we call it our favorite or our life verse, and nothing wrong with that. But if, uh, yeah. we, if we bend it into a narrative it doesn't belong in, that's not good. Well, you just have to be able to try to deal with the passages that uh, may uh, complement or qualify or counterbalance the thing that you're thinking about in the passage you're in. Mm-hmm. That's why we keep our nose in the scriptures all the time. Mm-hmm. So the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, sir, what must I do to be saved? Mm-hmm. That's Acts 16.30. Great question. Anybody who's had the opportunity to have somebody ask him that, that'll That's bring a beautiful the, thing, the hair it? up on your arms, won't it? <laughs> it's just a great thing. We call that an evangelical moment of of, uh, of interest. People are interested at that point. Better than eating. Oh, yeah, that's just, the best. It's just the best. The yeah. best. Now, would you suggest that the answer be exactly uh, what they gave to the jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely true, Mm -hmm. but it's not the whole thing. Right. I mean, this is is something that Paul is using here to get the thing going, and Mm -hmm. he's going to lead this guy to Christ. Right. So uh, that, again, I'll make my same point about theology. Sometimes we jump on Romans 10, all who call upon the Lord will be saved. Well, what does that mean? Right. Jesus. Okay, I'm saved. No, there's more scriptures that talk about what that means to call upon the Lord. My favorite is in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul reminds the Corinthians, he says, now concerning the gospel that I delivered to you, that you received, Mm -hmm. that you believed, that that you were saved by, and uh, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received about the gospel, that Christ died for our sins he was buried, he was raised on the third day, and he appeared to people. So that is in the, the center of that message. Christ mm-hmm. died for our sins, and he was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. So this is a nice euphemism here that Acts contains, and we got to go further with it if we're going to lead somebody to Christ and and the true gospel. I've just been working on this in one of my courses, uh, Bill. Good timing. That... that uh, uh, we we get we get a little screwed up sometimes when we uh, talk about people have to believe the gospel, and the first part of that belief in the gospel is we've got to understand what the gospel is. What and we are believing. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes it breaks down at that point where the gospel proclamation is either inadequate or it's misleading or it's couched with all kinds of flowery metaphors. You know, you have to cast yourself upon the mercies of Christ. You know. <laughs> It's a beautiful metaphor, but you got to explain what it means. Mm -hmm. You can't just leave that way. Okay, here I go. I'm casting myself. Uh, No, uh, you have to explain that. So uh, the first step in someone putting their trust in the gospel is they've got to know what the gospel is and what Jesus promises Mm -hmm. to us. But if you believe in his name, like it says in John Mm -hmm. 1.12, he is given the right to become children of God, and there becomes the process where you rely upon, cling to, and believe in over time. Mm-hmm. Thief on the cross didn't have much time to do anything other than just believe. Right. So? And I'm not sure he knew exactly what he was believing in, except this man hanging next to him. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, there's so much more to all this that the Scriptures just doesn't uh, thoroughly explain to us. And so we have to be able to live with that. Mm-hmm. So when it comes up about the 
the God's chosen people. Yeah. And how are they? And they'll be treated differently. They'll be treated specially. They'll, they're in a select elite group. How do you explain that? If they don't come to saving faith in Christ, how are they any different? Oh, they've got a problem. I mean, the, in the, the times before Christ, they put their faith in God and in the atoning sacrifices that helped them to deal with their sin so that they could be forgiven. But, uh, you know, you, uh, you have to put your faith in Christ today as the perfect uh, Lamb of God, sacrifice for your and my sin mm-hmm. so we can be forgiven. He is our substitute. He takes that penalty upon himself so we don't have to die. Yeah for it. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 um, uh, the Jew now today, we got to be very careful about this bill. You really have to qualify this carefully because I don't want anyone to think that I am somehow or in any way promoting any kind of anti-Semitism and, uh, intolerance of the Jewish people. Uh, but at the same time, we realize today that you must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. Paul brings this out in Galatians 3.28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ. So these ethnic differences have just kind of melted away in this mm-hmm. era of Christ. And yet at the same time, Paul's careful with the Jews in uh, Romans 11 where he talks about uh, that the the Jews, now there's been a partial hardening of Israel and the Jews against the gospel. And that's opened the door for the non-Jews, the Gentiles, to have their chance to be saved. But then Paul says, but the day will come again for these Jewish people. And so he concludes his thought. I'm going to read Romans 11 here, uh, starting in verse 28. And I think it's a perfect counterbalance of our attitude toward the Jewish people today. This is what Paul says. He says, from the standpoint of the gospel, they, the non-believing Jew, they are enemies for your sake. But for the standpoint of God's choice or God's election, they, the Jews, are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so that tells me I'm not going to equate a Jewish, a believer in Judaism with a Christian. No, for the sake of the gospel, they still need to put their faith in Jesus and in the gospel to be mm-hmm. saved. But I am not going to persecute or harangue the Jewish person because the promises of God are still upon them. And those promises, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. You just can't revoke those. They are still upon those people. So our attitude should be one to say, we want to see them come to faith in Christ, but uh, we also treat the Jewish person with great respect. Although, you know, if you want to expand that out, Bill, does that mean that we treat the Swedes with disrespect then, or the Nigerians, or the Chinese? No, we treat everybody with respect. Mm -hmm. But there's reason to think that we can mistreat the Jews because they hardened themselves against Christ when he was on the earth. And that's a sorry legacy of the church through the centuries, doing that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Romans 4.16, therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may yep. be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, mm-hmm. not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He's the father of us all. Sounds like there's some, uh, what, you get just because you're of Abraham's offspring, you're in? Uh, well, Abraham's offering, offspring are all of us who put our faith in the gospel. Okay. Because you got to remember, Abraham, he was 
reckoned as righteous. Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed God. He mm-hmm. put his faith in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he, in, in Paul's language, he would say Abraham was justified by his believing God. And I like the point Paul makes as well, where he says, when he did that in Genesis 15, he wasn't circumcised yet as a, 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 a sign of the covenant. There was no Mosaic law. Moses isn't going to come around for another 500 years. And so that means those of us who may not be circumcised mm-hmm. or may not be under the law, we're still children of Abraham if we put our faith in the gospel. So. Yeah, great. Dr. A little Mark. Complicated, but it's, yeah. it's Doc, fun. Dr. Mm-hmm. Mark Musk is uh, here to answer your questions. Let, let me know what they are. 877 933 2484. We'll be right back. Dancing is scary. Okay. That first song almost put us to sleep. No, it didn't. Yeah, it did. People like the, that. Those blues and just kind of soul and everything. It's time to take a little snooze. You picking a fight with me? No. I'm okay, just good. Stating the obvious. Yeah. All right. A listener said uh, Psalm 119 is a lengthy prayer, but written out, it seems very well thought and not blab- blabbing on. Nope. We agree, don't we? You bet. A lot of people spend like a whole year in Psalm 119 just because it's got so many verses in it. I'm going to count them up right now here. That that uh, Psalm 119, it should be 22 times 8, but I'm not sure about my math. And so, yeah, 176 verses. That'll keep you busy for a while. <laughs> What's really fun, though, Bill, if I can just a little, a little geeky kind of thing here about Psalm 119. Uh-huh. Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm. And what that means is, is that... Every section of the psalm starts with consecutive letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, In some Bibles, like my Bible, it actually tells you what those Hebrew letters are at the beginning of the section. So in verse 1, before it says verse 1, it says Aleph. That's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then in verse 9, it says Bet. And then verse 17, Gimel. Verse 25, Dalet. And so all eight of those first eight verses start with the letter Aleph. All eight of 9 through 16 start with the letter bait. So there's some craftsmanship going into that psalm. Wow. And it's almost certainly so people could memorize this baby. So what's that one again? Have you ever seen kids in Iwana? They're trying to get it, and the, and the coach is over there going, well, it starts with this. You know, and I, oh, yeah, 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 I got mm-hmm. it. So at least if they know where it is, they know what letter it starts with, mm-hmm. and it helps them to remember the psalm. But what a piece of art to worship God for his word and celebrate his word in an acrostic like that that runs uh, 22 letters, eight, eight verses each. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, explain this first. If you can, this is Romans 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, mm-hmm. even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, mm-hmm. who is a pattern of the one to come. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, Paul is, uh, we got to back up a little bit. And in Romans chapter 5, Paul is making a case here of how sin has corrupted us so poorly. And so it's going right through the the history 
of the world. And in verse 14 here, it's talking about the time before the law, but after the fall. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. They were corrupted. And Paul's going to teach right here in Romans 5, because of Adam's sin, we all inherit that sin, and we are all corrupted by that sin. Now, sometimes we get into a big discussion about, well, does that mean we're born dead in sin, completely lifeless spiritually, that God has to do something to awaken us? That's what one part of the church is going to say. The other part will say, uh, we're born uh, with the disease of sin. It's in us. We've been infected. And so we may be alive when we're born, but it's not going to be for long, because as soon as we get the opportunity, we're going to, we're going to, that infection is going to corrupt us and we're going to sin. And so in this case, he's talking about that period of time, though, before the law. It was much easier. He's going to talk about this in Romans chapter 7. Once the law came, that produced all kinds of sin and corruption because people heard the law and they rebelled against it. Uh, He said, you know, before the law about coveting, I didn't covet. But now that there's a law there about coveting, it's like covet, 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 covet. All you got to do is just look. Have you ever seen in a park where it has these signs on the grass off the sidewalk that says, please keep off the grass? And there's a nice path worn right by that sign. You know, people see it, stay off the grass. They're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to do that. And yeah. they walk across there. They wouldn't even have thought of walking out across right. there if the right. sign wasn't there. So the law incites us and incites this corruption within us. But Paul in verse 14 is making the case, even before the law, we were dead in sin. We were corrupted. All right, there's another question. Recently, okay. I heard a pastor say Jesus was a Palestinian. Am mm-hmm. I confused? And does it matter? Yeah, I don't think it matters that much. You can put all kinds of labels on these kind of things. But Jesus was a Jew. He was one of the Israelites from the tribe of Judah. So he was a Jew. And to call him a Palestinian, I suppose you could get away from that because he lived in the land of Palestine. So, okay, he's a Palestinian. But that means something wholly different today in the whole thing about ethnicities. And so I would avoid it. I think it's it's, it blurs things. It confuses things. Jesus was a Jew. He was of the tribe of Judah, the, the children of Abraham, Israel. Mm-hmm. All right. The animals apparently didn't fear man until after they were released off the ark. Maybe the animals naturally feared man because they didn't want to get cooped back up on the ark again. Yeah, I don't know who suffered more, the animals or the people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so remember they, one comedian talking about, what is that smell in here? You know, I mean, it must have been really But they bad. didn't They didn't fear a man. Animal, the animals didn't fear man at that point until yeah. they were released from the ark. Yeah. So they, uh, you know, we can we can speculate all day long about what what's going on there. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if we can draw anything conclusively from the scriptures on that. Yeah. But, but it is interesting, though, how you got all those animals on the ark. And then for a year, right? It was a while. I can't remember. I'd have to look up the exact timing of it, but it was a while. Yeah. So Because you have to remember, it just took a long time for the floodwaters to recede. Remember how Moses, oh, yeah. uh, Noah kept on uh, releasing, what was it, a dove or a pigeon or whatever it was? I think and, it was a dove. And the thing couldn't find anywhere to land, so he knew there wasn't any ground showing. And then finally the thing didn't come back, and so they knew they could open the doors on the ark. I have never seen it, Bill, but I guess it's really a spectacular thing out uh, yeah. east at this whole uh, thing of the Arcs, uh, Ark Museum. I went online the other day and, and looked at the pictures and some of the shots from the inside. It's 
pretty, looks pretty spectacular. Yeah, it looks impressive to me. So. You know, and imagine them building this with the four of them. How how in the world? Well, over 120 the, years. All the people giving him the business, all he, totally. while he's doing it too. So, yeah, I mean, yelling it, at his kids every day. We need more yeah. gopher wood. Yeah, so it it was it was a labor of a significant commitment. It, uh, yeah, it's. I think of God destroying all of mankind, all of animals, um, yeah. and starting over. Um, sometimes it's hard to explain that to people. Oh, it's a really a dark dark section of scripture over there in Genesis 6. The verse I'd like least of all is even before Noah is introduced where Moses is writing here and he says uh, verse 5 of Genesis 6, he says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of humans was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only Mm. evil continually. Well, there's about three superlatives in there, isn't there? Every intent only continually evil. And it grieved God. He, the next verse, the Lord was sorry he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. And that's where he uh, determines to start over again. Mm-hmm. Thank God for verse 8 where it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord that saved the human race. That's, um, that's those are pretty intense. Uh, very dark. Yeah, it is really dark. So I've been reading the book of Ruth uh, mm-hmm. over and over lately. Great, great book. I'm amazed at how much I love it. You bet. It's yeah. a great read. Yeah, it is a really great read. Now, I want to pick through some of this, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, Your boss. I get that, which is kind of feels good that you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? You know, I- I'm not going to have any more sons. Who Who could be your husband's? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? What does that mean? Yeah, It's so weird. Yeah, there's there's no hope, in other words. Okay, there's just no hope. For Naomi to uh, bear these children and have any hope for these two daughter-in-laws of hers. And Mm -hmm. so she tells him, uh, you got to remember, Bill, that whole different uh, world for women at this time. They were extraordinarily vulnerable if their husbands died or their fathers right. died. Because it was very difficult for them to make an earning in anything. And uh, so oftentimes they were stuck in poverty. So I think Naomi's making a case here to Ruth and her si- and the other daughter-in-law that maybe your own families can take care of you, but I'm going to have enough trouble taking care of myself. I'm not going to be able to take care mm-hmm. of you. So go home. This seemed like kind of an odd expression. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to have a kid. I'm going to have maybe another baby. You could probably technically babysit this little baby. Yeah. Then when the baby gets old enough, <laughs> the whole yeah. thing just didn't work for me. So I was wondering if there was something in there that I was missing. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we can get into the details of it. He, she may be talking about the Leverett law there where okay. when the one son dies. Right. Right. That she marries the kinsman redeemer or the gal, and that mm-hmm. comes out later in the story. Okay, I have a few more questions on Ruth. We'll take a little break and be right back. Dr. Mark Muska, let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. I'll ask on your behalf. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Muska is my guest. Let me know if you've got a question, 877-93-FAITH. I was picking his brain a little bit about the book of Ruth. I've been um, reading it almost daily and sometimes just listening to it at night when I wake up and I can't sleep. I listen to the book of Ruth. It's four chapters and it gives me usually a chance to... Great story. Yeah, go back to sleep. So, all right, uh, Naomi's saying to Ruth... All right, let's get out of your morning clothes and put on your your nice nicer clothes. Get some wash, put on some perfume, and go down to the threshing floor. And after he has finished eating and drinking, mm-hmm. sounds like he's got he's in a real happy mood. Yep. When he goes and sleeps, uh, find out where he's lying and go and cover his feet and lay down. And he will tell you what to do. What does that mean? That he will tell her what to do. <laughs> that <laughs> she right. makes her case to him, and he is uh, savvy enough. Uh, he knows uh, the law here, and so he knows okay. what to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's no romantic tension there of any kind? If there is, the Scripture does not fan the flame of okay. that. Okay. We don't know, but I, I, I really hate, Bill, to go places in with innuendo and implications in the Scripture that the Scripture doesn't say. I appreciate that, Mark. I'd I'm like with to you. say to my students, stay in the current of yes, Scripture. Don't yes. swim against the current of Scripture to try to make some kind of point. So there's just nothing in here about him having the hots for her or anything like mm-hmm. that. He is an honorable man. He honors her. He says explicitly in chapter 2 because he's heard how she honored her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. and he's repaying her for that. That is his admiration, not because she's some babe, something like that. Because mm-hmm. the age difference was pretty significant. From what, presumably. Presumably. We yeah. don't know that for sure, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we're, we're guessing that there was a, a wider-than-usual gap, but who knows to, perhaps, yeah. perhaps what it was, yeah. But he's having a good time on that threshing floor. I, you know, we can talk to any of the farmers that are listening to this. When their harvest comes in, it's time to celebrate. Yeah. So somebody might break out a, a thing of champagne. It says he was happy. He was merry because of the drink. Uh, some, I know farmers, they, they save their big stogie until the right. thing comes in, and they sit out on the back porch and puff away on that thing. <laughs> it's a way yeah. for them to celebrate. And it's also something for them to look forward to, Yeah. that when I get this done, the cigar is waiting for me. Yeah. Or the glass of champagne or whatever it is. Yeah. So, so uh, what was Naomi's position? I mean, she said, don't even call me Naomi, call me Mara, because that means bitter. Right. Is she just feeling sorry for herself? What, what do you think was going on with her? Yeah, maybe she's feeling sorry for herself. But you know what? She's lost a lot. Yeah, no, she's I mean, got I'm reasons to grieve. Oh, of course. And this is something we think it's, it, it insults God or somehow we've got to keep quiet when we're sad. And we complain. We'll complain to everybody else, but we won't complain to God. you got to read some of the Psalms right. where David lets God have it some of the time. He, he's grieving over the situation he's in. Now, in fairness to David, he always comes back and says something like, But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. That's in Psalm 3. So he declares his trust, but he's still sad. And Naomi here is here as well. Uh, in the ancient Near East, and even yet today in the Near East, uh, they make an art form out of grieving. I mean, it might go on for days and wailing and weeping and all this kind of thing going on. And uh, that isn't all uh, bad. I really resist when someone says to me, oh, well, I could never tell God what I was really thinking. Well, duh, he knows it already. You might as well be honest with him about what's on your heart. And if you're sad and you're despairing, let it out. That's why he's our companion. 
to comfort and reassure during those times when we're when we're low. Mm-hmm. So when they make this transaction and Boaz accumulates uh, Elimelech's property mm-hmm. and they do the deal where he takes off a sandal, yep. gives it to her. I mean, do you think you wear your crappy sandals to those business meetings? Yeah. yeah. Either that, if you're a businessman, you got a lot of sandals. <laughs> you got a lot of sandals. <laughs> so, this was the custom at that time. It yeah. says. And it must not have been real uh, pervasive because the author explains that. So uh, when this was written, most likely they maybe weren't doing that anymore. So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, back in the old days, you'd take your, your sandal off and <laughs> give it to the other guy. Right. So, And there's very little mention of God in this book. Mm-hmm. But he's in here. He's in everywhere, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. You want to get into know God, get into Esther. Then we got much more because yeah. God isn't mes- mentioned once in that book. Mm-hmm. But Ruth, I mean, as long as we're on it, Bill, but Ruth is such a great story because it's, story. it's anticipating King David. And it's telling us that David has godly ancestors who were faithful to the Lord, who mm-hmm. sacrificed for others. And this is the result. Four or five generations later, David is born and he's going to bring blessing to the whole nation. It's just blatant because the book ends with the genealogy. And the last word of the book is David. It's fantastic. So it's a, it's a great story. Mm-hmm. Here's a question from a listener. Okay. What does the verse, if you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? That's, I think, from Jeremiah 12, 5. Yeah. Well, I'd have to look at it. Does that ring any bell? See see the context of that for a minute here. So let me get over there. Yep. Jeremiah, I think it's 12, 5. I'll read it again. Mm -hmm. If you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Well, it's in the midst of a prayer here, and just reading a little bit to the the, the context here, it seems as though uh, Jeremiah, again, he's being honest with the Lord here. He starts out in verse 1, Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You, God, have planted them. They've also taken root. So uh, things are really bad in the southern kingdom at this time. They're heading for for uh, exile, and Jeremiah's trying to warn them, and nobody's listening to him. And so he say, verse 4, How long is the land to mourn and the vegetation of the countryside to wither? And so I, I'm i kind of drawing a blank right now on this, that if you've run with footmen and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, then... Will you do? Uh, how will you do in a thicket of the Jordan? And so it seems like in this time, if you're struggling to keep up with the way things are, mm-hmm. it's going to get worse. Going to get worse because Jeremiah knows when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he's going to destroy the city, and they're going off to exile. So that would be my yeah. first look at this: is to say, if you're moaning and groaning right now about it, what? What shape are you going to be in later? And you know what? It's not that all that inappropriate right now in our country. I think a lot of Christians have probably been like me, where we've had to step back and say, you know what? Life isn't quite as uh, easy and carefree and prosperous as we're used to. And there's a lot of moaning and groaning, a lot of cats meowing on the fence about that, you know, Mm -hmm. about, oh, this is so terrible. This is bad. Well, you know what? 
if I understand prophecy, things are going to get a whole lot worse. And if we Christians don't get our act together here and start cinching up our belts a little tighter and overcoming these challenges and remaining uh, true to the Lord in these conditions, what's going to happen when it's far worse in days to come? We don't know when all that's going to happen with Jesus' return, but we do know there's hard times ahead for the church and for the world as Jesus' return approaches. Mm-hmm. All right, Mark, this next question I have a little bit of a problem with. Okay. Because the question starts during a past appearance on Susie Larson's show. Ooh. Ooh. When did you do that and why? I don't know. I haven't been on there in years. Isn't that interesting that listeners remember an appearance you made on Susie's show years ago? Yeah. That's actually encouraging. Anyway, on a past appearance, Mark said he believes there will be multiple resurrections from the dead. Please ask him why he believes that. Oh, yeah. Um, there, uh, the main verses that I go to on that are over in the chapter in uh, Revelation 20, uh, which is sometimes called the uh, millennium chapter mm-hmm. because it's the only place in the Bible that talks about this thousand year reign of Christ upon the earth. At the beginning of Revelation 20, it talks about how this strong angel comes and he grabs the dragon, Satan, and tosses him into the pit. Uh, chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss or the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him into the abyss, shut it and sealed him over, uh, sealed over him. And so that starts this period of time. But there's, uh, there's some sequencing here that makes it seem as though there is a resurrection of those who are saved, who belong to God and who belong to Christ that takes place. And uh, uh, verse 4, it's an awfully long verse here. I don't know if I have to read the whole thing. Uh, It says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgments were given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or the image had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They were resurrected, came to life with Christ for a thousand years. And then, listen to what it says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So then after that, the resurrection of the lost takes place and they go before God at the great white throne and are judged and are banished into the lake of fire. So I think this is maybe the best uh, illustration here that there's going to be two phases to this resurrection. I know that when it talks about it in other scripture that it seems like it's a singular event, but I use uh, sometimes I use an illustration of this bill where uh, I don't know if anybody's ever taken a trip out to the mountains in Colorado. You're driving across Kansas or Colorado or one of those states, and you first see the mountains in the distance, and you see them, and what you see is two-dimensional. All you can see is height and width. You can't mm, see any depth. Right. And so it all looks like all those mountains are the same distance away from you. But once you get into the mountains you realize, oh, that peak is still miles ahead of me there. That peak's right next to me here, and there's a peak behind me now. There's depth there. And so with these prophecies, when we look forward to the resurrection, from our perspective, it looks like a singular event that takes place. But there's easily room here for this resurrection of the righteous first and then the resurrection of the lost. I think I can prove my point because if you go to the Old Testament and predictions about the Messiah, that was also seen as a singular event. 
But we know perfectly well now the Messiah's first coming was to be an offering for sin so we could be saved. The Messiah's second coming is still coming for us, and that's where he will rule the earth. But for those Jews in the Old Testament reading those messianic prophecies, they saw it as a singular event as well. Mm -hmm. Mark, when people uh, came to Jesus, did Jesus want them to be very specific about why they were there? He seems like he asks very pointed questions. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Okay. You know, uh, what can I do for you is the kinds of things. Well, I think of Bartimaeus. You know, he yeah. shows up, takes off his blind begging coat, walks up to Jesus, and Jesus says, what would you like me to do for you? Yes. And he goes, I want, I want to see. I mean, mm-hmm. isn't it kind of clear that, that a blind man has approached Jesus? Yeah. But you know what? It's, it's kind of a test. I, this, this brings out the educator in me. I think Jesus is drawing the man out to see if he believes that Jesus can do this, okay. he, does he have does he have the faith in Christ to uh, believe him that he can uh, that he can heal him? Uh, I love it. The the one that gets me every time is the paralytic that's at the pool of Bethesda mm-hmm. in John uh, chapter four, uh, five. And uh, I love it when Jesus comes to this guy. This verse almost makes me cry every time I read it because verse 6 of John 5, it says, When Jesus saw the man lying there and knew he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? What a question. But it's a great question. It's a great question. He'd been there 38 years. And so Jesus is asking, Have you given up hope? Mm-hmm. Are you still here, but have you resigned yourself to it? I bet you I would have resigned myself to it by then. I would have been in despair. But the man explains everything, and Jesus lifts him off of that pallet, and he sends him home. That's so, beautiful. But I like that, how Jesus draws people out. He's famous for that. The other thing Jesus loves to do is take things to a whole new level with people. That's That comes out in the woman at the well in mm-hmm. John chapter 4, where he says to her, uh, give me a drink. And she says, well, you know, how are you talking to me, a Jew, when I'm a Samaritan, a woman? And then Jesus, he just puts the bait right in front of her. Can't you just see the bass looking? at the bait there, <laughs> where uh, he says to her, if you knew who it is that asked you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. Talk about irresistible. And he draws her right in to something far more important than H2O, the water of life that he, prov- uh, that he provides for us. So uh, Jesus was the master. We can learn a lot about talking with people. From analyzing him. And being gentle and ask questions Mm -hmm. and let the other people, let the person uh, tell you their story. Yep. Yeah. All right. Dr. Mark Musk is my guest. Let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. 877-93-FAITH. We'll be right back. music and watch him do his jig get on them dancing duds get that square dance going you got that right with proper social distancing of course of course we're a good eight feet six feet away from each other which is good we are yeah i think so right around there yeah maybe 
maybe. Yeah. So Jesus uh, would uh, touch the lepers. He would yep. touch the people that would be considered outcasts. They would be unclean. Unclean. Yep. Would that would that be something that would make him unclean by touching an unclean person? Oh, that's the irony of the whole thing. Lots of people don't even catch on to that because the law said that if you touch someone who's dead or unclean right. or something unclean, it defiles you. And I like to put it in terms of that Jesus puts the reverse whammy on that, that when he touches someone who's a leper that's unclean, it doesn't mean Jesus becomes unclean. It means that guy becomes clean. And so it's the exact opposite of what they would expect from the law. That's just that's just great irony in the mm-hmm. Gospels. Yeah. So uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, mm-hmm. what uh, is the primary difference? Well, there's uh, several. The uh, I'm writing it down right now. Uh, Pharisees, uh, these were different parties. I like to call them the sects, okay. but you have to articulate that really well. Otherwise, it sounds like you're talking about sex. And so <laughs> they are sects or they're parties. They're kind of like political parties in our country today. Uh, the Pharisees originated about 150 years before Christ. They were heroes during the time of the Maccabees because they stood for the law against the Greeks trying to Hellenize the Jews. But by the time Jesus got on the scene, these the, the Pharisees were experts in the law. Uh, many of them were scribes where they wrote down the scriptures and they studied and memorized them. But uh, they had uh, been corrupted by the time Jesus comes along. So most of them had become legalists, that they thought the only way you could be right with God is to clean up your act and follow the law. Uh, The Pharisees were usually associated more with the townspeople spread around in Israel uh, so that many of the towns would have a synagogue and a Pharisee would be part of that synagogue, usually as a teacher or a leader in that synagogue. So uh, Pharisees over there on the one side. Uh, The Sadducees, they were a priestly party. And so if you put two plus two together, the priests congregated mostly in Jerusalem around the temple. Not all of them, but that was their center of uh, power, you would say. And the Sadducees were an interesting bunch because what we can gather from them, uh, they only held that the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the law, the Torah, was authoritative. And so they did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in angels. Uh, They did not believe in the resurrection. And so uh, much like our Democrats and Republicans today, these two parties were rivals for power in Israel. Uh, But Jesus really hammers the Sadducees, especially on their beliefs uh, that uh, I love what he says to the Sadducees at the end of one of his teachings where they challenge him. And he says, but as far as the resurrection of the dead, didn't Moses say or didn't God say to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, who had lived 400 years earlier? And then uh, he says, uh, he is the God of the living and not the dead. You are greatly mistaken. And so he puts down these priests in this, uh, this false teaching that they had. So, But those two were rivals. Sadducees didn't last long after the temple was destroyed because, of course, their center of power was uh, destroyed in 70 AD. Uh, The Pharisees kind of hang in uh, there, but uh, both of them dissipate after the first century. That's really interesting. And that's a, um, uh, 
Nicodemus was a Pharisee? He was. In fact, he was the teacher of Israel, okay. he is described as. So he wasn't just a lieutenant Pharisee. He was more general okay. Pharisee. Who would be a famous Sadducee? Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm not That's sure. Okay. If it would be Caiaphas was a Sadducee, I don't know if he is uh, uh, described as a Sadducee or not. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Peter has the power to raise someone from the dead. He brings his mother-in-law back to life. Does he do that? Is that in Acts? I believe it is. Hmm. I'd have to look at that. I'm drawing a blank today. Well, that's okay. I've been working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I'm thinking that that was uh, a most unusual momentary gift that was given to Peter to be able to do that. Well, he did other miraculous kinds of things too. And so for a period of time there, and then Paul, when he comes on the scene, uh, he's able to do the same types of things and uh, raise people from the dead and uh, heal sicknesses and all kinds of things too. So uh, this was part of the apostolic power that they possessed as uh, a proclamation of the gospel. Okay, um, maybe I have this, maybe I have it wrong myself. Um, is it Acts 9, Rebecca? I don't know. Yeah, in Acts 9, uh, Peter raises Dorcas from the dead Dorcas, in Joppa. Right. Oh, it's, it's Dorcas. Yes, that's right. Okay. Or, it, or Tabitha. Or Tabitha, yeah. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not his mother-in-law. Jesus is the one who heals Simon's mother-in-law uh, of a fever. That's in Matthew 8, I think, Matthew isn't it? Matthew 8, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm confused myself today. Mm-hmm. Which would be the first happens time that's the best happened. Of us. Well, that'd be the first time it's happened to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I thought um, um, that was a pretty spectacular moment. But you say the the uh, they had powers like that that they continued to use. Apparently, so that they were able to uh, see people uh, raised from the dead. Uh, it wasn't a constant thing, so that they're emptying emptying graveyards or mm-hmm. anything like that. But right. when the need uh, presented itself, they, they did things. Mm-hmm. That Paul, especially at Ephesus, was uh, uh, given a great power and opportunity to to heal. And so uh, they, uh, they were bringing even uh, garments and articles of clothing and having Paul touch them and then putting them on the sick people so they'd be healed. So mm-hmm. there was a, quite a there was quite a um, movement of God's power that took place during that time. Mm-hmm. I'm reading it here, Acts 19:11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. So uh, this is uh, a very powerful time for the gospel spread. Yeah. So just a couple minutes left, when sure. y- you come across someone that feels that God has been against them their whole life and they naturally feel that because of that they're against God. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the best way to try to break through that shell? That's awfully hard. If they've got a preconceived notion about this because the fact of the matter is uh, that God is not against us uh, why would he provide the Lord Jesus Christ oh, as the sacrificial lamb for us? I know, I know. And so uh, we don't, uh, we can't look into the mind of God and the counsels of God as far as how he extends his kindness to people. But uh, my my response to that kind of thing, Bill, is to say something like, 
if you seek for God, he will make himself known to you. God isn't going to be hiding behind the planet Mars or something like that and hiding himself from us, that he makes himself known to us. The issue is our issue, that the the, the guy's starting from the wrong place, that uh, if you feel like you're against God, you've got to do some thinking there. And uh, uh, there's no reason to think that God is against you. Mm -hmm. But it says in, I think it's Acts uh, 16, where uh, God opened up Lydia's heart so Mm -hmm. that she might receive the message that Paul had given uh, to her. And I I guess the first thing we do for the people we come alongside who are feeling that God has been against them their whole life, Mm -hmm. or God has not cared for them, or God has not loved them, so therefore they're responding in like, is just to pray, pray, pray that God will open up their heart. Yeah, and you know, there's an old proverb that says the stiff, stiffest trees uh, fall the hardest. Mm. And sometimes the ones that are most against God and most uh, uh, opposed to him in any kind of a way, uh, they're closer to the kingdom than you think. I'll take a person like that any day over the apathetic person that right. just yawns at you and says, oh, whatever, man, whatever you want. <laughs> right. I, I believe that's fine for you. you yeah. know, they're, I think they're farther away from yeah. God. It's like the biggest bully is oftentimes the biggest softy. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Mark, thanks for being here. And sure. thanks for uh, spending time with us. Dr. Mark Muska has been my guest. One of my favorite all-time hours is Ask the Professor. Thank you for your great questions. I hope you've had a great uh, time of studying God's Word, which is what I want to do every day with you. All right, that wraps up our show. Thanks for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.